I mean, this is not going to be my only glass of wine this evening. Because this book, I have so much to say. Do you? Yes. Good or bad? Because I just want to say that Stan Sakai is a personal hero of mine. I know. And <laughs> I love him. And <laughs> if you say worried? bad things, I'll cut my wrists on the podcast. What? <laughs> okay, that's really extreme. Um, so what did, what did you think? <laughs> no pressure. No, I did actually feel really, like, I, I feel really conflicted about having this conversation with you because I know. Then don't. Uh, let's bottle it up uh, let's let it fester for decades and then it'll all come out look i know how much you love yusagi uchimbo i know how much you love stan sakai amen look and it's not that i didn't like it it's just that i didn't love it (sighs) that's fair wow okay that's fair i'm gonna have a little sip of my wine and i'll tell you why it's fair because that's fucking bullshit, Connor. <laughs> and I can't fucking believe you fucking said... No, it's... um, It is a dense book. And having read it previous to this podcast, I don't know that this would be the volume I would choose. Um, my dilemma kind of came from the fact that there are fucking 32 volumes of this book, not including out-of-continuity stories. And... I've read them all out of order, in order, over decades. Like I've been reading this book probably since high school. And so when it came time to choose Usagi Yojimbo for the podcast, I was like, oh, God, but which volume? And um, this was on the Internet, you know, like, oh, this was the best one. It's, you know, won Eisner Awards. And it, it, it is like it sort of encapsulated encapsulates his skill. But I don't know that I would recommend this book to you. Having reread it now, I wouldn't recommend it to you, knowing your tastes and your vibe. (laughs) It was, yeah, it was thick. It was a thick book. But will you admit that you're a procrastinator? (laughs) Okay, look, here's the thing. It's like, yes, I did procrastinate. Yes, I may or may not have read this book literally hours before we were supposed to record this that's pretty good for a procrastinator like hours beforehand is pretty good thank you i use my commute um yeah it oh wait a minute time out you read it on a commute that's the only time that i do any of my reading this is not (sighs) yes but a commute is a time where you you're supposed to be miserable it's required (laughs) you have to be i mean we want to redo. You no. have to read it. Let's do another pause, time out, hold music, and you can reread the book and tell me how much you enjoy it. No, this book was so long that I think that even if I had all of the time... Also, there's an, there are other factors to... It's not just that it was insufferably long. I also don't want to say that... Okay, look. I, I didn't hate it. I just didn't love it maybe mm-hmm. at the level that i think that, that you, you should wanted me that to. you should okay sure um yeah it's a long <laughs> book and it's dense there's an extensive prologue four parts which by any standard is excessive oh four prologues to a story is a little excessive it reminded me of like the like the end of like lord of the rings where you're just like and you're like no the return of the king and you're like yeah. and it's over no it's not oh, and, gotcha. there's and, another one and by the end you're begging for the end credits yes <laughs> yeah fair i'll give you that but okay four prologues um and 
Yeah, I'm one... not looking forward to having to like summarize any of this, by the way. I have Good. no idea where to Leave it to me. I'll read it off the paper that we wrote. <laughs> <laughs> um, should we jump into it? Yeah, let's, let's just, jump into let's it. Just tell me about it. Okay, Stan Sakai, my hero. A Japanese-born American artist. Uh, he's best known for Yusagi Ojimbo, which is the story of a wandering samurai which takes place in the late 16th century, early 17th. Right on that? Yeah, yeah. He's oh. also a rabbit. Fun fact. Oh, yeah. So, uh, Yusagi Ojimbo takes place in feudal Japan. Um, Wait, all... is this feudal Japan or is it is Edo Japan and feudal Japan the same thing? Yes, because okay. they have lords lords and peasants. And Spoiler so... alert, I know nothing about Japanese history. Which is why Yusagi Ojimbo is... And if any of you want to complain about that music right there, <laughs> keep in mind it's royalty free. We wrote that ourselves, so deep, 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 fuck you. <laughs> um, no, it, yeah, feudal Japan because it has a feudal system of lords and peasants. Cool. And uh, okay, so uh, basically, this is the twelfth volume, and each volume is roughly five to seven issues. So. Is every volume this long? You might shave an issue or two off. So, okay. yes, like, yes and no. Okay. Average size, yeah. Hmm. Um, it's been running since 1984. He's had a lot of crossovers with the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, so... Which makes no sense. Also, that is so long to be writing the same comic about the same rabbit. Yeah, but it's such a good comic. Where did the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles take place? Is it New York? New York. Okay, yeah. what the fuck? And, they, and, some, and somehow they're like... You know what we need in the mix here? A Japanese rabbit. Let's just get from feudal Japan. Let's just throw that in there. What would be a better crossover? Cross them over with like Daredevil or something? Why do they even need to cross over? No, um, I think that this is a great example of a successful creator on comic. And I think you could argue that there is no greater example of a creator on comic than the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And Stan Sakai and Kevin Eastman slash Peter Laird tend to be... I don't know if they're friends, but they're at least friendly. And so they've crossed over into each other's properties. Um, I think it's awesome. I maintain that it makes no sense, and I don't like it. Well, what's cool about... Oh, wait, about... actually, I take that back, because they're, oh, they're fucking ninjas. Yeah. God damn it. And what I will always like about it, I can't speak... I'm actually not a huge Ninja Turtle fan. I can respect them, but I'm not a huge fan um, wow, you know we're going to hear from Sam about this. Oh, Sam's going to call Sorry, me. Sorry, Sam, we love you. I really like Yusagi Ojimbo. And I think the people like it, too, because it's had 21 Eisner nominations, and he's won the Eisner five times. He's an amazing artist. I mean, do you ever like think that he gets tired of writing stories about the same rabbit for the last, how many years? 30. In 1984 to now, oh, quick no, math. I if this you, is embarrassing. Well, if you think that we were doing math during that long pause, the answer is we weren't. We were both staring at each other, expecting the other to do it. And I'm sorry, there's no math in this household. We don't do math. He he might be tired of it. He did a, a famous Japanese legend of the 47 Ronin, and he did those with human characters. All right. So that is what I will say about this book, is that so much, there's so much like folklore and mythology and every time that I was like this cannot be like he's just making this shit up no it's all based on real Japanese mythology which yeah. I thought was really cool the book is meticulously researched he usually has footnotes and he usually has like a section in the back where he kind of maybe 
explains stuff a little bit more. His work, it's immaculate. It's, I'm sure that he makes mistakes like anybody, but it just like, there's something about his inking that like really, and when you see comic artists tend to work at least double, at least twice as large as the work is printed. So like to see this artwork blown up and just like displayed on a wall, I took my breath away. And that's the thing that I will say about this book is that I did like the art sometimes. So, uh, sorry, that was really backhanded. I you can't I like, see how angry I am right now. <laughs> I, I like the art. Like, okay, here I can. Okay, here's what it is. I can tell um, that he's an extremely skilled artist. He's mm-hmm. really good at what he does. Mm-hmm. What I will say is that a lot of the animals definitely start to kind of look the same. Like, it just, you're like, what is this? Is this a cat? Is this a lion? I guess they're kind of the same. It's like, is this a dog? Like, you're like, I have no idea what this animal is. Okay, and also, the book is all in black and white, which I actually thought that I would enjoy more. But one thing that I did notice is that there's a shit ton of fight scenes in this comic. And, oh, no! Which I hate, because you're just kind of like, okay, yeah, like, whatever. But the thing is, it's like, because it's in black and white, it's so hard to tell what's going on. I feel like every time there was a fight scene, it took me twice as long to read those parts, because I was focusing in on, like, what was actually happening, because the black and white, everything kind of blurs together. Mm. But, okay, that being said, Stan Sakai, I will say, is overall a good artist. I think that... Um, I feel like everything that I say in this podcast is going to have a disclaimer because I know how much you love this comic. Thank you. But I want it to be because you're being honest. <laughs> um, no, I I kind of understand. I think that his cartoon... Like, everybody is represented by a different animal, but everybody is a person. Like, you can't think of them as animals. You have to think of them as actual people. It's not like, oh, the rabbit clan does this and the Which I would have actually, I would have almost preferred because like it reminded me a lot of Mouse where it's like in Mouse, the Jews are mice, the Nazis are cats, and I think the Americans are pigs. And it actually provides a really... Oh, ouch. (laughs) Hey, look, it's their commentary, not mine. I'm just saying. But like it, um, it provides like this framework. So when you're like reading the comic, it's really easy to identify who is who who belongs where, etc. Whereas with this, it's just kind of like, it's so random. There's one rhino, there's like a thousand cats and lions, one rabbit, actually two rabbits, and then like some dogs sprinkled in for good measure. It's just like, it makes no sense. You just have to look at them as cartoon representations of people. Like, because there's, there's no point. There's no, there's no reason to add these animals in, so it almost just feels like he did it because he knew he could do it well. It's almost as if he was just drawing to tell a story. Oh, my God. But why choose animals? It's like a Chekhov's gun situation. It's like there you don't have something there as part of a storytelling like element unless you're going to use it. Mm. The, the commonly accepted lore of the creation of this book, and forgive me if I don't get it 100% right, but essentially <laughs> like he wanted to do a comic about a samurai in feudal Japan, and he's like drawing these samurai characters... And then one day he kind of just starts doodling with the, they, he draws a rabbit as a samurai and then he decides like, oh, the bunny ears would make a really interesting top knot for the samurai. And so he did that. Oh, yeah, that is a cool. And then he kind of was like, yeah. it kind of worked. And then that kind of just led him to keep going down that path. And so it's like, yeah, there might not be any rhyme or reason, but then you're like, 
it just it's inspiration like you can't say like oh well it has to be this or that it's like what speaks to you like what gets the work done like what got the work done was a funny cartoon animal and then he's like well i don't want to draw all rabbits and so like okay fair enough all right all told i think that i would probably give this book overall (sighs) just do it i'm biting my tongue already (laughs) okay i would give this a c plus maybe a b minus how many stars like 3.5 out of four that's awesome. Five. Fuck you. We're not using your trash system. A trash system. We're not going to talk about this every episode. I'm I'm putting my foot down. <laughs> like, we're done with this. So just come over <laughs> to my system. We'll have nothing to talk no, about. No, no, fine. Let's get on the same page. We're, no, I'm cutting this off right now. I'm giving this Four a C. Four stars. I'm giving this a C minus. A C plus. A C plus. I'm giving this a C plus, B minus, and that's all I'll say. Okay. Which is, I think, a man sitting in the chair Mm. not doing anything fine fair enough i as a series i give this series no you can't do the series you have to do grass cutter can't i have an opinion series but also do grass cutter like look as a series i do have to give this series an a plus just because i love it so much as this book as a representative of the whole series i'll give it a solid b plus but I probably wouldn't, this isn't the series that I would introduce people, this isn't the book that I would introduce people with. Well, so it's interesting that you say that because, okay, so I haven't really read that much Yusagi, like, outside of this one. You've read a little, though. A little bit, yeah. Like, I've read the first two. Uh, For those of you just tuning in, Hana is like a cat where you can't recommend a book that you'll know she'll like. You have to, like place it and let her approach the the book itself so i like she has read yusagi before she seemed somewhat enthusiastic but again like i can't press the point so (laughs) like like, i liked it but i will say that this i think that this would be a good introduction to people who haven't read yusagi because it combines so many character arcs oh my gosh which to be truly honest i feel like we're i am just like putting off having to like describe this book because sure. it's a fucking minefield of plot let's make this a four-part episode this will be the first no. episode. there's an extensive prologue that takes place with like four different myths or legends or history three, yeah three no. four and then you you kind of jump into the main story and within the main story there are a number of factions we'll get it should we cover the prologue first and then jump and then give a summary of the yeah, I think so. Okay. Basically, like, just strap in, everybody. This is just rife with subplots, um, names that we are 100% going to not pronounce correctly. Uh, Magneto! <laughs> Which we're... is the correct pronunciation. <laughs> Look, we're not... No. Um, we're also... Yeah, there's just going to be a lot of tangents. So it's like, if you're looking for an episode full of just clear concise summaries you're in the wrong place fuck off <laughs> go home drown yourself <laughs> wow okay do none of that <laughs> um <laughs> we're influencers now <laughs> no none of that is real okay so let's just talk about the se- let's just the prequel you want to hit the... the prequels oh, fine all right let's it's the sword setup it's do it i'll jump in and be pedantic and correct you whenever i feel as though you've overstepped great okay so it'll just be like a normal day in life cool amen (laughs) all right so this book starts off um with just a mouthful 
of Japanese folklore, Japanese mythology. Ooh, kinky. Oh, God. (laughs) 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 Mostly centered around the sword, grass cutter. So like half it's it is one it literally the entire part of this beginning is just to explain this dumbass sword. Like I don't know. I feel like the beginning is and I don't know if this is a good or bad thing. You're gonna say bad, I'll probably say good, but it's a little more esoteric than that, and I'm using that word correctly. I don't know. Uh, But it's like, it's more about, it's the creation of Japan slash the world by the seventh generations of deities. One crazy thing too is like, I don't know, I don't think that this is exclusive to Japanese mythology, but literally like anytime a god like takes a shit or like takes a bath, like 17 more gods are born. And then Stan Sakai wants you to remember all of their fucking names. No, not true. So true. Not look, if you read the back of the book, uh, he talks about how much he cut from that. I think essentially worlds created God and his wife or well, she's not his wife. They're both gods. Okay. Also, I'm just going to like reveal that the lapsed Catholic within me is like very anxious about the fact that I just said every time a god takes a shit, I'm like waiting for the lightning bolt a little bit. Like I just feel like my Catholic upbringing like has not. I'm not. I feel free like of that. don't expect the lightning bolt to come down and strike you doing. I think it'll be more subtle than that. He'll be like, okay, and he'll like do like a little. Like, like, um, I mean, fair enough, but yeah. I'm gonna go to the bathroom and we'll see how Hana's life turns out. <laughs> Basically, the world is created. These two gods, one man, one woman. Whoa, man. Whoa, man. (laughs) One man, one woman. The woman dies. The man goes down to hell or the underworld to go get her and essentially looks at her too quickly. And she gets really pissed because he sees her dead. And she chases him back to earth. And he's like, that's fucked up, man. I'm really (laughs) impure. So he takes a bath. And from his discarded clothes the nature of evil is created. And I think that that's more like as a broad, like, hey, like there's going to be some characters who are clearly evil. That's what was so annoying about that, though, is that it has like the tiniest sliver of relevance to the actual plot where it's like, why is this here? Isn't it crazy that worldwide there's like this myth of like, going down to the underworld to retrieve your loved one and then like being told explicitly like don't, don't look at them yeah, and like, then you're like ooh but what if i just had a little peek and then you regret it i think just because curiosity is such an intrinsic human nature it's just a it's something that we all have i mean i think that this is a really common theme just across all different cultures because that's so relatable yeah well it's so human nature Everyone i'll grant it. that it doesn't have like this myth doesn't have a whole lot to do with the broader story overall and you probably could have cut it but made you think point Sakai. oh my god Anyway, it's like, it, this is literally just one-fourth of the actual, like, beginning to this book. So, can I just speed through this? Do it. Okay, so basically what happens is, like, 
this god, he, like, goes and he, like, fights a dragon, he cuts open the dragon, and he pulls out a mystical sword that just happens to be inside this dragon, and then he's like, oh, this is super cool. I'm just thinking of a Pepto-Bismol ad where he's like, <laughs> he's like upset stomach, like, diarrhea, <laughs> sword inside you. <laughs> You might just have a mystical Japanese sword inside your abdomen. Yeah, so we're going to cut that. But, like, um... (laughs) Yeah, he's got to go on a quest to, like, quell a rebellion. Or at least check in on some people that they're not sure about. Also, this has nothing to do with the actual story. Untrue. It has nothing to do with the actual story. It's how the sword's named. It has everything to do with the story. (laughs) Yeah. I'm going to hop in here because I like this story. We're speeding through this. I like this story. We're moving through this because it takes so much time. Are we going to argue about moving through it or am I going to be able to just get through it? No, look here. I'm going to. Okay, I'm doing it right now. Okay, he goes to quell this rebellion. His advisors or counselors they turn on him and they set a fire like to the field that he's walking across or whatever they're like go check that thing out and he's like okay and then like boom fire and he's like oh no i'm trapped and so he takes out his sword and he starts literally like swiping the grass like which would make sense if you're in dry grassland and a fire is moving i guess he's like oh my gosh i've got to quell the fire by getting rid of the grass so he's cutting the grass and he notices that the wind is controlled by the gods and it's being pushed back towards his enemies by the swords it's controlled by the sword which is controlled by the gods the sword is divine but it's not controlled by the gods the sword is basically pushing this fire back towards his enemies and driving them away. It's a glorified fucking lawnmower. But then at the end of this whole little vignette or whatever the fuck you want to call it, he's like, I shall call you grass cutter. And it's just like, oh, it only took us like 70 pages to get here. Ah." And each one of them brilliantly executed by the peerless Stan Sakai. Disagree. But anyway. Point. Sansakai. Fast forward, like, I don't even know how many years. I think it's like... We'll say a thousand. Okay, so it's like a thousand years. By now, he's sprinkled in, like, way too much backstory about these two warring clans, which are called... The Heike and the Genji. The Heike and the Genji. And again, Magneto Magneto. (laughs) We don't know how to pronounce it. I know, it's just, like, please just... Be, we did briefly turn to Google like voice, Google yeah. Translate, to be like, how would they say it? And we click it, and it's like a robotic voice being like, hi, key And you're like, <laughs> uh, maybe that's right. Or it could just be a robot. And right. It's like, none of this is helpful. So here we are. Um. Anyway. Can I you... break it down? Yes, please. Go so the Heike is the court aristocracy. And then you've got the Genji, who are the Hicks and the Bumpkins, but... A strong warrior class. There's some bloodshed back and forth, and essentially the Genji force the Heike to retreat constantly. And what happens is there's a big climactic battle. Wait, can I say something really fast? No. At this yes. point, the Heike are the people who have grass cutter. Yes, the court aristocracy has grass cutter. Right. They also have a couple of other divine treasures that are that do not mentioned, but are not important in this story. Yeah. Wow. Wow. <laughs> point, Hana. <laughs> Two to two. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So, so the Genji are like, they're fucking shit up because their leader is bold, decisive, and powerful, like Hana. Oh, (laughs) that's so sweet. The Heike, they're led by a sniveling coward. Essentially, they're constantly forced back. Um, There's a big battle at the bay, some betrayals, some... A about lot of fucking ritual suicide. Tons of it. Which is like shocking considering that 
I would definitely classify this as a children's or teens comic. Educational. Sure. Um, like it's but there's so much fucked up ritual suicide. Hey, this book is nothing if not meticulously researched and very accurate. There's so, a part where the grandmother takes the eight-year-old emperor and they fucking drown themselves. Look. Also, side note, they're both cats. Some like, grandmothers parents, take you to whatever. the movies and give you pop and candies, but some grandmothers <laughs> take you and tie a stone to your chest and, and throw you into you the in ocean. Suicide? Okay. So the grandmother sure. of the child emperor who's eight years old decides that they're not going to be dishonored and desecrated and captured. So the Heike Emperor, who's eight, eight, yeah, uh, they leap into the ocean with grass cutter and drown themselves. Can I just interject really fast? Yes. What the fuck is with all of these child kings? Like in this book, there's just a ton of like eight year olds in power. You're not wrong. But I'm not giving you a point. No, I'm not giving you a point because that's not like good or bad. That's just an observation. Okay, fair enough. So the child is drowned. And I mean, it's an excruciating 10-page sequence of... No, I'm kidding. It's not. Yeah, God. (laughs) But... uh, It's fucking dark. It's like very meticulously researched. Stan Sakai drowned eight-year-olds into... (laughs) There's some treasures that are meant to be also taken to the bottom of the ocean they are recovered but grass cutter the divine sword is not um all the souls of the honorable hikey warriors who drowned themselves after like realizing they were going to lose the battle are, are sort of they're not transformed into crabs but essentially they like become the crabs well i'm wondering like because hikey like, crabs are real yes and it's like do their faces actually look like the souls of warriors and i like, think so no i think on their shells i think the way that their shell their the back patterns, shells are formed yeah. i think it looks like a face so yeah, yeah i think it's a pretty con i think it's a japanese like folk tale or myth of like oh all the souls of the dead yeah. warriors and he just drew it but it's also kind of like did he just make that up no it's like either way moving forward crabs equal dead warrior ghosts. yes who have a responsibility to protect to- the sword Yes. Yeah. So the sword is lost. Now we're going to fast forward Also to the, Edo period Japan. Yeah. Remember all the subplots that we mentioned? This is when they all come into play. Yes. Let's break down quickly what the main groups are. Okay. Um, there's Usagi. Right. His homie, Gen, who's a rhino. Right. A rhino and a rabbit. So there's totally those. normal animal pairing. There's those guys. Mm-hmm. They're humans. They're not animals. Whatever. They're animals. Except that they're animals. Okay. <laughs> Then there is uh, Jay, who's a demonic zealot Mm -hmm. who claims (laughs) to be the sword of the gods. And his whole thing is like, I'm going to kill evil, but killing evil means killing everyone. Right. And he's got a little girl who he says is the only innocent. He's his innocent. So her name is Keiko. So Mm -hmm. (laughs) there is also Lord Noriyuki. Lord Noriyuki. Yeah. And Tomei. And Tomei, his bodyguard. They might be my favorite. They're awesome. Panda I, Boy. Yeah. Panda Boy and Tomei yeah. are just Noriyuki like, is a panda. He's a wait, young... are we sure that it's Tomei? Tomoe. It's Tomoe. T-O-M-O-E. Okay. So, just, yeah, bear with those us. are... Those are like... He's a young, honorable lord. He's important in the series overall. Also, he, child ruler. Child fan, ruler. Yeah. Well, that goes to... Yes. Mm-hmm. The and re- the only panda. Anyway, let's move on. And... The Conspiracy of Eight, which is a long-running story throughout the series. But essentially, there's eight people who want to overthrow the Shogun. They're led by a man 
named... Oh, Kets- Ketsue? Or... Kotetsu. Kotetsu! 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 And then his witch, Ryoko. Ryoku. Okay, so that's yeah. the last... There's a conspiracy of eight, but you really only need to know about Kotetsu and Ryoku. If you guys are lost, then you know exactly what it feels like to be reading this book. If you guys are lost, read the book <laughs> and really soak it in because it's uh, fucking amazing. Sure. Yeah, something like that. Anyway. Okay. Yusagi's chilling. He's in a village at the site of the final battle between the Heike and the Genji. Also, this is 400 years after that battle that we just talked yes, about. Yes, in Edo period, Japan. Yeah. We are in a period where the shogun is in power, the emperor is a figurehead, the shogun is passing, he's stepping down and passing power to his son to establish a hereditary line, essentially mm-hmm. keep it in the family. Basically, he's, he's kind of like trying to become the emperor. Yes. Yeah. Uh, the relative peace. There are no overt wars. There is behind the scenes clandestine meddling by a lot different... of Game of Thrones shit. Yes, which makes this series amazing because there's so many, like there's so much intrigue that we can't even touch on because it has nothing to do with this. <laughs> but series. also super fucking complicated. Okay. So... But also super fucking complicated. <laughs> so he's like, oh, this is a cool village. You know, it's the site of this and that sword grass cutter was lost. Blah blah blah. Giant earthquake. This earthquake will have ramifications throughout the entire book. Right. At this point, Kotetsu basically asks his witch, Ryoku, to kind of like get the crabs together to pull the sword from the depths of the bottom of the ocean. Right now, Yusagi's just chilling on the beach. He's just trying to have a day. And like these crabs just come out of the ocean and they drop this sword at his feet. So at this time, like Ryoku's like, hey, dudes who are on our side, get down to the beach so you can get this sword. But Yusagi's already there. So he grabs it and he's like, wow, this looks a lot like Grass Cutter. Oh, too bad it isn't. I'm going to go give this to my random friend. boop a doop a doo uh, That's a great summary. I'm going to take two issues with it. One, Yusagi's not chilling on the beach. After the earthquake, he's helping the village. He's like saving lives because he's a good dude. Because he gets to and the beach. B, his random friend is Lord Noriyuku. Panda Boy. Panda Boy, <laughs> who is an honorable lord. Basically, Yusagi picks up the sword and is like, ah, what an asshole. Somebody placed a sword here after the earthquake as a joke because obviously this can't be the fucking sword grass cutter. And so a bunch of samurai come after him to murder him. And he's like, why is everybody after this sword? And he's like, is this grass cutter? Dun, dun, ah! Meanwhile, Tomei and Noriyuku are like on their way to the capital. Just like, okay, I feel like every time we get to a side plot, do we Sorry, even need... I feel like we both said Noriyuku, and I think it's Noriyuki. Oh, nope. From now on, we're just going to call him Panda Boy. I'm looking it up. Noriyuki. Noriyuki? We were right. Whatever. We're calling him Panda Boy. Panda Boy. Okay. So Tomei and Panda Boy are on their way to the capital, and as they're on their way there, they actually get betrayed by Panda Boy's, like, prime minister. He's essentially like Jafar. The minister protocol. Right. Panda Boy is traveling to the capital to to pay tribute to the shogun's son in order to say, hey, we're loyal to you, we're good dudes, we're all good. His minister is like, great, we'll travel in this giant lumbering party but you don't need any warriors to protect you because you're on your own land. So we're going to have the warriors waiting for you at the border of your land. So he's got no protection. He's attacked. <gasps> Who could have foreseen it? And I feel like Tomei kind of knew. Tomei, Tomei knew. She was calling that minister oh, on yeah. his shit. She's like, what are you doing? He's like, well, I'm the minister of protocol. And she's like, 
She's Fuck like, whatever, you. Jafar. Yeah, like, basically, like, Tomei is just, like, this badass God, cat. she's so cool. She is so cool. She's really cool. cool. Yeah, she's a badass cat samurai, and she basically, like, just protects Panda Boy and just makes sure that he gets where he needs to be. But also, in the process, is just, like, so, kicking kick ass, taking names. Back to the Demon Jay. He's murdering everybody. He's murdering criminal gangs. He's murdering royal processions. He kind of reminds me of, like, a Rasputin. He's kind of yeah. He's a really he's a long running adversary in this series, and there's a lot of history. He hates Usagi. He's going. He wants to kill him. But it's interesting because he has like this. He has this divine power. Yes, and that's what's cool about this series is that like he's got a power where he can pick up any blade and it will transform into a spear. I think everyone in the series tends to write him off as like, oh, he's a mass murderer, like, or who could have murdered all these people? But he's actually got some sort of supernatural power. He claims it's from the gods, quote unquote. We don't know, is it from the gods? Is it from evil? Who, like, what is this guy? And his speech bubble is different than everyone else. Yeah. And his... I, I could go on. I, I won't because we've got a long ways to go. Essentially, he's murdering everybody. So meanwhile, Gen is basically on the hunt for this other awesome badass cat samurai named Inazuma. It's what, hot. is she not a cat? Oh, God, yeah. Also, she has some unfortunate cleavage in this, which is, like, really... Historically accurate? Uh, it, it, okay, sure. Um, I just want to get when animals have... Parts. I don't either, and I grappled with the whole furry aspect of this comic all through high school till I realized that it's just a good story. It is, but also furries. Um, okay. It's a little weird. I mean, whatever. You do you, no judgment. I love time... Stan Sakai. <laughs> Point, Stan Sakai. <laughs> That's the only thing that you should take away from this podcast is that Justin loves this man so much. Basically, at this point, Jay is on the hunt. Yusagi's doing whatever the fuck Yusagi's doing. Um, Ryoku, Surviving. Basically, yeah. Ryoku and K- Kotetsu. Kotetsu, thank you. They're like trying to track him down to get the sword back. And Meanwhile, getting frantic. They're kind of like, they know that he's allied with Panda Boy. Yeah. And they're afraid, and Panda Boy is lo- loyal to the Shogun. So they're like, oh, if he gives a sword to Panda Boy and Panda Boy gives it to the Shogun, Shogun will have divine right. Exactly. So... Meanwhile, side plot number one thousand five billion whatever is like so. Point Stan Sakai. No, that negative points. Um, Gen, who's the Rhino, who will eventually meet up with Usagi, is like on the hunt for this other badass cat lady, Inazuma, which they eventually start fighting. He wounds her. She's way better than she's he is. way better than he is, but by some like mistake, she trips. She's wounded. She essentially like wanders off into the forest and she runs into Jay where she like kind of collapses. So Keiko basically convinces Jay to take her to a monastery to let her heal. So that's just, just put that in your back pocket, listeners. Just like monastery. put a pin in that. Just remember this, this whole side plot. The monastery is currently run by Nobu, a priest, a warrior turned priest who has no place for earthly politics. That won't come up later. No place for earthly politics. <laughs> so basically, Inazuma is like unconscious and she's at this monastery and she's recovering. Jay and his like weird little sidekick, have Keiko. Like, Keiko, have like dropped her off there and that's where she's going to be for the remainder of the comic until she becomes extremely important at the end. Right. Meanwhile, Usagi <laughs> is starting to realize that he's got this crazy sword and it's a divine weapon and no matter who uses it, 
he can't see any future where Japan isn't torn apart by warring factions battling for it. Suddenly, Ryoko's familiar, uh, monstrous little... Kind of like a Japanese Tasmanian devil. I do like that... I know you were complaining that they don't have specific animals for each person. Yeah. And, like, there's a a moment where Yusagi's like, I've never seen an animal like this. It is weird. It's like like a a weird cat dog. It's a weird cat dog gremlin. Tasmanian devil is really the best way you can put it. But the Tasmanian devil fucks Yusagi up and takes a sword and runs off. Good thing Jay is in the forest and he just like stabs the familiar and takes the sword, which leads to the witch actually dying. So the witch and the familiar are obviously linked, you know, standard witch familiar shit. So um, obviously, right? She's dead. She so turns thank into God, one character she, down. <laughs> like, she turns into a pie, like a rope full of crow feathers, and Kotetsu, the main conspirator of the conspiracy of eight, is he's like leading the coup. He's like. <laughs> This is so fucked up. What? And he easily goes insane. Crow feathers? Yeah. What? <laughs> and that was a really good Kotetsu. Thank you. Um, Jay now has this divine sword of the gods. He reaches up. He's like, I'm gonna turn this into a spear. Doesn't turn into a sphere. Spear. Whoa. Yeah, sphere. Doesn't turn into a sphere or a spear. And he's like, That's fucking weird. But at least I have this crazy, powerful god weapon. Meanwhile, Yusagi and Gen have hooked up. They're running... Not in a romantic way, just to clarify. Mm. <laughs> Who knows? Yeah, I'm sure there's a ton of slash fiction on the internet that would disagree. But... They're still chasing the familiar. Now we cut to Panda Boy. <laughs> because Panda Boy has an extensive side plot. Oh, though. fuck, I forgot about this. All right, yeah. So, okay, remember how we left off with Tomei and Panda Boy, like, escaping into the forest because Jafar was, like, trying to, like... I do remember that, Hana. Yeah, thank you. So, like, Jafar was like, fuck you, Panda Boy, and Tomei and Panda Boy were like, they get out far enough and they seek shelter at the home of this sketchy-ass farmer. So they're taken in by Ikeda, the farmer, a.k.a. a disgraced general in a traitor's army. And he's like, ah, the son of my most hated enemy. I must kill him. And his family is so naive, it's kind of sweet. They're like, you have to help our lord. You'll walk him through the backwoods to avoid getting murdered by his traitorous minister of protocol. Jafar. Jafar. Mm -hmm. And Ikeda's like, yeah, I will. Cool. And he's like, how will I murder this guy? And then his family's like, oh, don't forget your samurai swords. And he's like... Right. And Tomei is instantly on to him. She's like, dude, you're not a fucking farmer. You're not a farmer. The way you carry yourself, you're not a farmer. And he's like, no, I am. And she's like, I don't believe you, but let's keep going. Right. And essentially... He's helping them all the while trying to figure out, like, do I murder this fucking asshole? Yet another side plot in this myriad of side plots. And they come to a bridge, and all of a sudden, as they're about to cross this giant Indiana Jones bridge, Jafar, the minister of protocol, and his army come on them and is like, we're going to kill Panda Boy. And they go running across the bridge. Ikeda's (laughs) son falls through one of the wooden slats that has not been maintained over the years and panda boy saves him and Ikeda's like god damn it you're a lord and i'm gonna fucking help you yeah that also he, makes no sense he's not he's basically just like you say no my son. the son of his most hated enemy rescues his son no, and i'm he's saying like, it was like you're a lord and i'm gonna save you it's like he's basically like, thanks for saving my son 
I, you're actually an honorable human. Yes, I will not Panda let Boy you is. die. As the bridge is being overwhelmed by these like enemy soldiers, he cuts the bridge himself after Panda Boy and his son have and Tomei have made it safely across. I feel like we keep saying Tomei, but it's I think it's Tomoei. Tomoe. Tomoe. Whatever. It doesn't matter. If we say it enough times, it'll make up for all the times we, we mispronounce say... Magneto. Oh my god. We're not talking about this. Okay, <laughs> moving on. So, essentially, you think he's dead. He's not dead. He climbs up the bridge and they, like, continue on. But Jafar's army has been cut off from chasing them. So they have to take the long way around the gorge. Now... Back to Jay. Jay has the sword. And Usagi and Gen stumble upon him in a clearing. And they're like, oh, oh shit. Also, we're almost done. This guy, <laughs> is go- he can't have the sword. We've got to kill him. But he's so fucking good. And Usagi's weakness is fighting spears. Not like literally, but he's like not as good at fighting people with spears as he is with... But Jay has a sword. But Jay also has that deadly spear. Because oh. he, he distinctly plants grass cutter in the ground and he takes his spear right and he stabs gen and gen's like ah my soul and yusagi's like i'll fight and he there's a lot of like (sighs) ping 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 if you guys are exhausted at this point then you know exactly what it was like to read this so did i mention that there have been a series of like aftershocks after that earthquake there hadn't been though. There have been. You weren't paying attention, procrastinator. Uh, probably, yeah, so, so tired. now <laughs> cut to Kotetsu and the conspiracy of eight. Oh yeah. And Kotetsu kills himself. More fucking suicide. Ah! Yeah, he literally just throws himself off a building. <laughs> He's ah, dead. It's so fucked up. It's just like, all right, whatever. Boo! Stop it. We're going through this. We're speeding <laughs> through now. So now, meanwhile. Inuzama is haunted by dreams of Jay in the monastery. She's got visions and she's like picturing herself fighting through hell and she's hallucinating. Now we come back to Jay and Jay's like (laughs) fucking up Usagi and he's fucking up Gen. And all of a sudden there's an aftershock and a tree almost falls on Keiko. And he's like, oh no. And he turns away to look at Keiko, his one innocent in this world of evil. And Usagi picks up Grasscutter out of the ground and stabs Jay and Jay explodes into a bunch of souls that he's captured, and there's a giant mysterious light that like fires off into the air. Blood, basically. Yes. He's like the Chernobyl of souls. Meanwhile, Noriyuki has <laughs> now made it to the village. He's safe and sound, but wait, Jafar is back. Uh. And there's an army, but wait, Noriyuki's army is here, and they rout Jafar's army, and Noriyuki is safe. Deus Ex Machina. Yay! Remember when I was talking about how complicated it was to read all of these battle scenes? Now you know why. Now, cut back to Nobu in the monastery, and he's like, that light's fucked up. We better go check it out. (laughs) So they go check it out. They find Usagi and Gen, and they're able to take them back to the monastery to heal them. But... Jay is only a pile of ashes. Yeah. And when they get back to the monastery... Every fucking monk that was left behind has been murdered. And on their face is the most horrific, anguished grimace you could possibly imagine. Because it turns out... Uzami. Inuzami. Inuzuma. Inuzuma. Yeah. Well... Is po- okay, fine. Inazuma is possessed by Jay, and she fucking kills everybody. And the end of this book is like... 
Oh, wait, actually, it's not the end of the book. Basically, the end of Jay, Keiko, and Inazama's story is that Inazama's possessed by Jay. She, she now the, is Jay. She is Jay. She is Jay. She goes into the woods. She finds Keiko. Keiko does this creepy-ass thing where she's like, oh, auntie. And then they just disappear into the woods together. And it's, thank you. And it is, like, the creepiest shit. It's just creepy, and I don't like it. But would you say that it's good storytelling? Yeah, it's fine. It's fine. Point stands to Kai. Yeah, but I feel like I have, like, three points right now. And he has one. We haven't. No, he... I think you tried. You guys were tied for a little bit. No. But... False. Okay. So, basically, Usagi... We come back to Usagi. He's healing, and he's like, Ah, there was no body when you found Jay? That's horrible. (laughs) And he's, like, really freaking out. And then he's like, Also, what do we do about this divine weapon that will tear apart our country? And he's like, You have no place for earthly politics, Nobu. Tell me what to do. And Nobu's like, I've thought about it. Oh, damn it. What? We didn't mention that there was a counterfeit. God, you guys, I mean, it's like if you've been with us for this long, I feel like half of you are probably tapped out of this. Like, so, But, like, seriously, it re- doesn't matter. A replica, a replica is in a shrine. <laughs> somewhere. Somewhere. <laughs> and essentially, Nobu is like, well, we'll just switch the real sword for the counterfeit, and that way... Everyone will assume it's a counterfeit, and no one can use it for their own political ends. Ugh, and Usagi's like, that's fucking brilliant. Yeah. And Nobu's like, yeah, the gods have a sense of humor. Done. The Yay, end. The end. Fuck. I feel like you got in a worse mood because of how long it took to go through it this. It is so long. How, like, I, I honestly, like, thought about this where I was like, how would I just, like, summarize this in a paragraph? And there's no way. There's just like a magic sword. I'm going to try. Rabbit samurai. Okay. I'm going to try. Go for it. A magic sword of the gods is lost to the ages. A witch and a traitor plan to recover it. Usagi finds it. It falls into the wrong hands. Usagi recovers it. Again. And decides (laughs) to put it where no one can use it for ill. The end. I guess. But then it's like, then you just like missed all the side plots. You mean the richness of the story? You mean that you should really pick this book up from your local comic shop, buy it. Or library. Or library. And you should read it and savor. Here's what I think you should do. I actually think you should start with volume one and work your way up to it because there's so many... That's Pl- 12 volumes. Yes, but Hana, like... That's a in huge Uzama, In Uzama, is like... In this, she's a random cat lady with tits that, like, oh, she's a demon now. Yeah. But in the previous books, she's, like... There's intrigue and there's, like, conflict that leads to her being falsely accused of murders and cast out of her society. And she ends up, like, this bounty on her head is unjust. So, again, hunting her down for a bounty... Is like you're like why she's a good person and now she's been turned into a demon. It's <laughs> I mean it's like yeah I'm on panda board boy, with that. panda boy. There's uh, so much there. He was he, like the least interesting character, and I know that they're setting him up to be like you oh liked he, panda boy. He's fine. I mean I like Tomoe. She's so with cool. Panda boy. And they team up all the time Which throughout is the series fine. because they've got to stand up to Lord Hijiki. Of the witch clan. It's not in this volume. Oh, God. But he's like... a power hungry. Oddly enough, and I'm actually curious about this because Lord Hijiki is the one human character in this entire. Whoa, that's actually kind of interesting. Yeah, huh. and 
it's Has like, anybody said? I mean, I'm sure people have asked him about that. Right. But it, it's one of those things where I'm like, did you do this with something in mind? And then it went radically different? Because at this point, like, he's like, it's okay. So Hijiki is human. And he's got like a basically like another lord who is loyal to him, who's a giant snake. And so throughout, like, he's introduced in the first volume, and then he's kind of never really seen again, and you really only see the snake manipulating events and moving stuff around. And so it's kind of like, well, is this something you were intending to do? Is like, is he a castaway from another dimension, but then does that kind of fuck with your, you know, uh, yeah. meticulously researched story? Like, it's kind of weird. I'm like, what are you going to do with the one human character? Actually, that's not true. There are three two other human characters in this series uh one is Gru the wanderer he has a brief cameo a series by mark evanier and sergio aragonas this is not interesting to anyone who doesn't know who that is but he's basically it's a it's a comic series that uh stan sakai letters and he's a background character there's a little Gru the wanderer oh kind of God. wandering through the series and then there's also calvin and hobbs make a cameo in the one of the early trades. So I mean tec- that's cool, but like technically Hijiki is not the only human, but he's essentially the only human. It's just so much. I okay, I will say that after reading this comic, I was like, oh wow, like I actually really want to know more about like Edo era Japan. Like that seems really and you cool. Hate Japan. I do not hate Japan. I just don't like anime. I don't think that's the same. Or manga. Or manga. Alright, this is it. I'm so done with this book. I like I have like nothing more to say about it. Thanks for tuning in, guys. (laughs) New episodes drop every Wednesday, new comic book day. Please stop by your local library or comic shop. Read more comics. Or don't. It's fine. Sign out.